Okay, hi. I'll explain what this is all about as I go. Uh, this is a 45-minute talk cut down to 20. So like I say, we're going to be speed dating. I'll take some questions at the end. Uh, some of you might be a little upset with this, but uh, I'm used to that. Um, I'll say thanks to Brian and the team for uh, inviting me back here. After four years at Apple, I wasn't allowed to talk in public. It feels good to be able to get back out. Um, so let me uh, start with this. Um, basically, um, what I'm going <clears> to <throat> quickly discuss with you, and I mean, we'll try and get through these. There's not that many slides, actually, don't worry. Um, I moved back to North, up in Portland, Oregon, a branding company that I was at before I joined Beats by Dre about four years ago or more. Um, and we started up a new uh, music business arm that we really just kicked off around about April of this year. And we're still kind of putting the, uh, the building blocks together. But I just wanted to sort of um, give you an overview of, of what we've been um, thinking about and something I brought, thoughts I brought with me, um, one of the reasons I left Apple. Um, so what I want to talk about today ultimately is the shifts in the music world, you know, the recorded industry world more than anything, and also the way artists seem to be um, doing things themselves, creating uh, really interesting experiential sort of pieces. And, and they're, uh, you know, the way artists these days are kind of creating new cultures. And, and I want to be also aware of discussing the audiences out there too. So uh, this one is slightly out of the music industry. Uh, Rishad Tabakawala is the chief growth officer at Publicist Group. Uh, you may have heard of those guys. And <clears throat> I met him at the University of Oregon when I was doing some teaching there uh, quite a long time back. And this phrase of his that he brought up then is still, I think, very, a very good analogy for um, what's kind of going on. Because what he had said here uh, with this phrase, what he's getting at was that um, he was considering the new technologies from a marketing perspective. And he was very blunt about how companies that were one-stop were selling mounds of mediocrity and how they ought to be inspiring, igniting, and inventing a new generation of talent. Um, his point was that although we all embrace technology, like look at me, I've got three devices up here as it is, um, that uh, we do not reorganize our ideas in new ways that would result in actually incentivizing new behaviors that we all know are very important. So I applied this insight to musicians, bands, and artists too. If an artist embraces the technology that they invite into their lives, then uh, why would they not apply the very same technological opportunities to their own creative business models? Um, if an artist does not apply those um, um, new business models, then other artists with fresh approaches will run circles around them. I mean, for example, Frank Ocean, Chance the Rapper, the list goes on and on. I, I won't bore you with that. Um, and by the way, just embracing existing technology and platforms and speaking in tech talk phrases won't get the job done. <clears throat> That's just speaking in tech phrases, right? It's not going to get it done. So, you know, David Lynch here, somebody is always worth having a look at. What we really experience is a narrowing of the imagination. Um, and this is, to me, uh, and perhaps my cohort Steve here. Um, this is an example of, of pushing sort of 
the future into the old containers. You know, Billboard wants to remain relevant. And so it came up with what Scott Parsons of Lander wrote, the solution uh, for measuring all those streaming listens has birthed one of the funkiest sounding terms in music, the album equivalent unit. Now, if you have one song in a playlist that's played thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and no one really listens to it, it whizzes by, it's an album sale. Go, go, go. Right, fine. Now, if you look at the numbers, um, to be fair, um, the 1,500 streams does add up if you take a base rate of about 0.0006 cents per stream. It does actually add up to $9.99, apparently. And so, okay. Now, my, my point here would be, well, when you sold an album, a, a physical album, you got a lot more money than you get from streaming. So this is a kind of a very odd, odd way to use charts, right? You can see why <clears throat> Drake, etc., are always yeah, in the billions. Um, and that next 10,000 I was talking about are not in the billions. Um, so let's see. Then the industry's moving towards data. Uh, Horace Dedieu is someone I follow uh, a little too obsessively, I think, online. Um, and he's talking about how you know, the data we obtain leads us to see something, but it also blinds us by taking attention away from what we cannot see, that which is left unmeasured, maybe where all the truth lies. In other words, from the 100% of data that you're receiving, everything you want may be in just 1% of that data, but you miss it because you're not really looking for it. So that's the data firehose. So let me get to why... I called this talk the next 10,000. Uh, you know, four years ago when I joined Beats, um, I was working closely with uh, Trent Reznor for a while because <clears throat> he was um, in charge of the product, the um, Beats Music streaming app. Um, we had a good time. And we were often discussing the plight of um, the working independent artists because even at Beats there was a, <clears throat> a bit of a a curve that ended up with the bigger hip-hop artists. You know, they created more streams. Uh, obviously, creating more streams means there's more uh, money changing hands with the big labels, etc. But we were we were wondering what's going to happen to the upcoming independent artists who don't get that kind of streaming. So I don't believe that the problem is is yet solved, and um, there hasn't really been any solutions to those problems. Um, you know, it's a reasonable point to make that no other art form is appreciated as broadly and passionately as music is on a daily basis around the world, but there's still a huge gap in income equality if you don't get those streams, if you can't get those very large streams. So, um, another issue that came up, um, Scott Rogers, who manages Arcade Fire, Paul McCartney and Shania Twain, uh, that's just a few of them, I think, said that uh, Arcade Fire has five million monthly listeners on Spotify. There you go. Radiohead have six million monthly uh, listeners on Spotify. And then what we're seeing is when big independent artists get up there towards the top, they are jumping over to the major label system and I, you know, presuming that they're gonna get the same kinds of uh, streams as all the other artists. That's not quite working out. 
So a grizzly bear has two million per month. The war on drugs have two million per month. These are Scott's numbers, by the way, not mine. Um, LCD sound system, two million, which kind of shocked me. Um, I thought they were bigger than that. So things haven't quite worked out yet. Now that doesn't mean that they won't increase incrementally over time. But you know, what you're up against, uh, these were the formerly independent artists, what you're up against is Imagine Dragons, Calvin Harris. I mean, come on, you know, like it's not quite, it's not quite um, a level landscape. So there's that. Um, and then, Another issue is the platforms themselves, which I'm going to get into in a second here. So Sol Lewitt, um, who uh, was a conceptual artist and a minimalist, he died in 2007. This is something he noted, uh, particularly in the art world and, and the other world that he was uh, working in. But this sort of fits as well with the music side and um, what's been going on. So the problem with online platforms... Artists and audiences creating culture and work on their own terms. So outside of the recording industry, in other words. So here we got Lil Peep playing in my hometown at the Roseland Theatre. I don't know if you call it playing. It looks like they're having a good time now. Um, you know, now everything that he'd released up till recently. I think there's some things that might be in the streaming services right now, but SoundCloud was the preferred platform um, for this. What's basically, uh, there's an underground uh, bubbling up um, um, world of uh, hip hop. Like this, you know, they're just doing their own thing. They're really making all their money from touring and putting on these shows. It's all ages. Um, I think Lil Peep is 19 years old. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, what we're looking at is it's on SoundCloud. And as we know, recently SoundCloud's had some troubles. So you've got a decade's worth of music up there. What's going to happen if it goes away? That's a serious question. Um, so here's Jace Clayton, uh, a friend of mine, also known as DJ Rupture. He's also an author. Um, he, in an interview with uh, the New York Times' Jenna Wortham, he pointed out that the death of SoundCloud would mean more than the sunsetting of a service. It would mean the erasure of a decade of internet sound culture. He reminded Wortham of the online music service called iMeme. Anyone old enough to remember that? Okay, good, thanks, I'm not on my own. Um, <clears throat> which um, MySpace bought that in 2009 in the hope of absorbing its 16 million users into its own platform. And yet the struggling service was shut down and all the music uploaded and shared to it was gone. Literally gone. It's not a physical product. It just disappeared. Nobody archived it. And, and Jace was really upset because um, he said that uh, a very eclectic subset of black Chicago house music disappeared overnight. He says whether SoundCloud can last another 10 years remains to be seen, but the moral of its struggle is clear. As digital culture becomes more tied to the success of the platforms where it flourishes, there is always a risk of it disappearing forever. And Brian Feldman, writing at Vulture.com, said that as we move creative scenes from cities and neighborhoods and onto the web, we outsource the publishing, the storage, and the archiving of products 
to young for-profit businesses and therefore run the very serious risk of losing huge and important libraries of culture to the vagaries of a new and quickly moving economy. In other words, are the VCs going to keep throwing money at SoundCloud? So um, that's kind of a little unsettling if you have music on SoundCloud. Who has music on SoundCloud here? Okay. Whoa. Okay. You might want to think about these platforms. Um, and so, you know, I talk about a little bit now with artists with power, and that's the ones who are um, not signing to labels or their um, major record label deals or their indie deals even have um, expired and they don't want to re-sign. So there's a whole new world now. Um, this company, STEM, uh, something uh, at North Music, we, we've had a lot of conversations with STEM. Uh, we actually met with them early on when we started what we're doing. Um, and I have some skin in the game. Um, I really came across it because Frank Ocean on Blonde sampled two tracks of Gang of Four, my band, um, and he used STEM to release that album which was kind of unknown. I mean, that Blonde album came out after Endless, and nobody knew how he got it distributed, because he didn't have a label. But he used STEM. Um, so if you own your own copyrights, anyone in the room, and you want to get some really decent um, uh, distribution of your music into all of the, the, the mainly the large um, streaming music services, and you make enough money, uh, you will get paid monthly um, if um, all goes well. You don't have to wait, like I do, for nine months to get a statement that's about the size of a doorstep, because it's all streaming music royalties. <laughs> it's just like, I feel bad for the, uh, the male lady, but never mind. But really, it's like, I don't even want to read through it, because it's, it's literally huge. And the check is not as huge as it used to be. But with STEM, um, they're also looking into ways of um, paying out bi-monthly, um, like a regular paycheck. So it's definitely worth looking into. Um, and we've been um, looking into it. There's a couple of things it doesn't quite do, but I won't go into them. I'm kind of just been aware of time here. Um, and so this is just something we put together internally to sort of keep kicking around um, about what we're attempting to do. Um, North, so this, this, this arm that we're talking about, North Music, is um, in North, uh, a brand company. And so we, uh, we already work with brands. And over time, there's been a lot of music DNA in the company itself. We just haven't uh, really focused on it as directly as we're doing now. And um, this is our little pyramid. Um, I, and, and really, in the middle there, the box in the middle, the culture and experience is something that we are really focusing on. Um, now, by the way, I, I, I can't get too deep into this right now because I don't have a lot of time. But um, this afternoon, I am on another panel where I should have more time. And if, you're, uh, you know, if you have questions that we can't get to, you can always come to that panel this afternoon and ask me about them. Or meet me out here. I'm happy to talk about it. But what we're trying to do is create, when we talk about creating new revenues, we're, we're hoping to really link with brands and artists on a contextual level uh, where they talk to each other. It's not just, hey, we're going to do 
one commercial and we need one song and we're going to go to a licensing company and get one song and that's it. We're looking for some uh, long-term relationships between the brands and artists as long as both sides agree. But we also have to take into account audiences um, and I think... Um, that's very important too. Like, you know, artists are obviously uh, very um, um, aware of their own brand. And in house, we talk about brands want to be bands and bands are brands. So we have to make sure that all of this is coming together and the right audience is, is reached. Um, there's a lot more to it than this, as I say. I, I, I don't want to get too deep. So um, actually, we may have time for. Um, uh, questions actually um, because right now this is the last slide so this is what we're trying to come up with ultimately is North Music cultivating moments products and experiences at the intersection of brand artist and audience to create new and impactful pieces of culture uh, one of our team uh, Skylar Jessen I'll talk about this afternoon as well he's already in Brooklyn working on a very experiential moment which we're quite excited about called Manifest 1.0. Uh, that starts today, I believe, if you're heading back to Brooklyn, although it's a very limited audience to get in to see it. It looks like it's going to be something spectacular. So ultimately, I managed to get that done in, wow, 15 minutes. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah. On your last slide, you uh, showed uh, the audience and the brand and uh, an artist as well. Yeah. Now, would these deals be set up as anti-360 deals, or are you basically going the 360-deal model? Oh, no. I don't believe in the 360 deal, and also we're not that kind of company. So now, it's we're, we're, not, we're not contracting with artists. We're, just, we're like matchmakers. We're going to bring them to the brands. And, you know, the brand and the artist is, is where everything happens. Um, it's that simple. And we don't take a cut because we already get paid by the brands that we work with. So we're not taking any money from the artist. We, we want that money to go directly to the artist. We, um, in April, uh, Steve and I went to LA to pressure test this out with some, some of the top managers in town. And we were expecting pushback, but we had 100% success of no pushback. Um, you know, it's new revenue. And, and I, I think many of you in the, in the room may, you, know, you may be a little bit confused about what I'm ultimately discussing here, and we need, to, we need to flesh this out a lot more. But it's because there's so much at stake, in a sense. Um, you know, the, the way that um, music culture and musicians and artists are moving, that shift, as it were, that I talked about earlier, is um, very interesting. And we don't exactly know exactly where it's going, but we seem to think that, um, and something I'll talk about on the panel uh, uh, this afternoon is, audiences don't want more, right? That seems to be a thing. Everybody seems to think more. And it's like, I keep talking, I just was talking about Coachella today, you know, more means you better have a lot of money to get in that air-conditioned tent with the chilled champagne, okay? That's not an experience. That's buying up. That's different. And, um, I'll be talking about like Frank Ocean, you know, like w w when he just comes up with T-shirts, right? That's not technical. There's no technology required except to print a T-shirt. Um, there's so many, so many ways now to engage your audience. And that's, again, something that's really got to be fleshed out. I mean, I did put an article up on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, which I'm going to expand upon as well. 
because uh, there was a lot of comments in there too, asking questions, and it's not easy to answer all the questions in that format. Um, it's probably going to have to be talks like this where I have a lot more time and can take as many questions as possible. Having said that, any more questions? I think I still have time. There is a non-profit repository of music um, out there, and uh, he's sitting <laughs> along the wall. Um, is anyone from SoundCloud here today? Anyone from SoundCloud here today? It would I guess be, uh, can't I afford mean, to come. <clears throat> it would be fairly trivial for them to ex expose some sort of API and allow Brewster to back up the archive. I know that someone's attempting to do that, yeah. yeah. That would be great. Are you there? Do you want to talk about that? You're backing up now? Right <laughs> now, it's all going up to the cloud. But then the cloud goes away, and then we're, uh, we're still in trouble, right? Um, yeah, Brewster Kale Internet Archive, we harvest a lot. Um, we try to make it as available as we can without making people mad at us. Uh, digitizing 78s, um, three... 100,000 CDs. Um, we did get some of the underground collections before they got whacked. Okay. Um, so we're trying to make them a, a, basically a reference collection of all music and then uh, make it so that you can run programs over it, fingerprint it, metadata it. Cool. Love to participate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you after this. Thank you. Uh, any more questions? Yeah. Yeah. Look more than just their songs. It's the connection, it's the data that need to be stored. So the solution is not only just having the music, but also being the that back up that data. As being a platform, the artist provides so much data to the industry for its likes, fans, connections. So when they can actually control their data as a platform, you only lease that data. The artist controls and owns that data. So the company that provides that solution it's the company that helps the artists. The right. music is the music. It can, it can recreate that. The data is the problem they can't control. Okay. Are you capturing the data over there? I, I didn't get your name. Brewster Kale. Yes. Bruce Kale. Okay. So you're also capturing the data. Okay. So that's happening. Good. Yes. Um, I'm an artist, Belevolent. Apparently, I walked out during the best slide to go to the bathroom. Do you want me to run them again? They're really quick. Um, I was told that it was a slide that had a triangle on it. It was about branding. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually really close. I, I would love to Watch see this. it. Watch this. There it is. I'll take a picture. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. And? Oh, you want to know more about this? Yeah. Okay. Am I good on time, anybody? I think so. No? Yes. The first person ran over a little bit, so I'm going to have to keep going here, I think. So you want to know a little bit more about this. Okay. Well, basically, uh, look, this may be updated very soon. I mean, in, in, in fact, we've been talking about where it says brands there. It could probably say record label. It could say investors. You know, anybody who wants to get involved in, in the experience in, that, in the middle there is, is of importance to us. But the main thing we're talking about here is that the, the money flows to the artist directly. No, you don't need to. That's our job. Oh, yeah. That's what, you do. That's, what that's what we're trying to do. Yes, yes. Yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any more? This is
is turning into a comedy routine. <laughs> oh, it says, speak directly into your mic, turn off your cell phone, smile, laugh, and have fun. Oh, there we go. I, I'm, I'm, I'm winning without seeing that note. Um, can yeah. you talk a little bit about the types of brands? Types of brands? Yeah. That, like, and, and what's your process of finding the right match between the right artists to the right brand? Well, so the first thing that we, we do is reach out to the artists, right? Ask them what they want. Uh, I think that that's very key to us right now, and uh, we're looking into really uh, ramping that up soon, getting in front of people. I mean, some of this came about... The reason that, that, we, we, that I'm involved in this at, at the moment was prior to going back to North, I, I was working on some music with James Mercer from The Shins, and he started asking me about how's it going with music licensing. And when I got up off the floor from laughing, um, you know, I was able to have a decent conversation with him and say, it ain't going anywhere, how's it going for you? <laughs> you know, because um, something had dropped off in the licensing world where I think, you know, he used to make a lot of money from having his songs in uh, uh, commercials and things like that, some of which he regrets now. But... Um, Yeah, I mean, that's where I mentioned earlier is it's the context as well. It's like, so if you go to an artist and, and say, Columbia Sportswear is one of our bigger clients right now, and we discovered an artist that really likes Columbia Sportswear, then there you go. Then you need to start the conversation. And then everyone needs to agree. And then we have to look at the audience too. You can't ignore the audience. I think that's always been ignored. You can't just put a song in a commercial and throw it up there and hope that everything's going to work, right? Because a lot of audience might say, why is my favorite band pushing this horrible brand? There's so much at stake. You've got to be very careful. Somebody waving at me. We're done? Okay. I am asked. That's it. Thank you very much.